Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. case known to millions as the West Memphis Three is rooted in controversy and conflict that runs deeper than any other case that we've covered. Every little detail of this case takes weeks, if not months, to unpack properly. We've spent the last month simply breaking down the credibility in Jesse Miss Kelly's confessions. As I mentioned in this week's Friday follow-up, the last six months have made it very apparent that there are certain people on both sides of this case that are not willing to hear anything or acknowledge anything that might challenge their previous beliefs. With that being said, it's time for us to pick up the pace and move along. Today's episode is going to be the last episode where we talk about Jesse Miss Kelly's involvement in the murders of Stevie, Michael, and Christopher. In my opinion, after breaking down his pre-polygraph, polygraph, post-polygraph, and recorded interview and confession, along with the clarification interview that was done after the confession, I don't believe that Jesse Miss Kelly has demonstrated any actual knowledge of this crime. With that being said, the last thing that we're going to look into in regards to Jesse is his alibi. Up to this point, as I said, I see no indication that Jesse has any knowledge of the crime. But is there any other evidence that he was actually there on May 5th, 1993? And conversely, is there any evidence that he was somewhere else? At Jesse's trial, his defense team brought up over a dozen witnesses that accounted for his time on the afternoon and evening of May 5th. All of these witnesses were, of course, challenged by the prosecution and all presented strengths and weaknesses in their testimony. Namably, the alibi witnesses that testified at Jesse's trial were as follows. Stephanie Dollar, Susan Brewer, Jennifer Roberts, Christy Jones Moss, Charles Ashley Jr., Jesse Miss Kelly Sr., James McNeese, Louis Hogart, Dennis Carter, Fred Ravel, Roger Jones, Keith Johnson, and Josh Darby. Also, Jesse's boss that he was working with on the morning of May 5th, Ricky Dees, testified. Most people that have at least a limited knowledge of this case have heard that Jesse Miss Kelly couldn't have committed the murders because he was in a town called Dias wrestling on the night that they occurred. And most people that are aware of this are also aware of the fact that there are some problems with his alibi. In this episode, we're going to present three different elements that account for Jesse Miss Kelly's locations on the day of the murders. Our first stop is Ricky Dees and Josh Darby. As you've heard in our previous episodes, Jesse's work schedule in no way alibis him for the murders of Stevie, Michael, and Christopher. Jesse had told investigators that he thought he was working until 5 that day, and Ricky Dees told investigators that, in fact, Jesse was done and dropped off by about 12.30 in the afternoon. He says that he stopped by later and talked to Jesse's dad, who told him that Jesse had gone down to Stephanie Dollar's house. Since this was hours before the boys even got out of school, there's not much relevance there concerning Jesse's alibi, but when we dig deeper into the trial testimony of Josh Darby and Ricky Dees, 
we find that there is a direct conflict, another conflict, that is, with Jesse's confession. On the night before the murders, May 4th, it seems to be undisputed that Jesse spent the night with his friend Josh Darby, who he also worked with the next day with Ricky Dees. That night, Jesse and Josh spent the night at Josh's mother's house in the Nettles trailer park. Josh's mother does not own a phone. One of the elements of Jesse's confession was that he had received a call from Jason Baldwin late in the evening the night before the murders, and then another call from him at 9 o'clock the next morning. This is information that did, in fact, come directly from Jesse. But is it possible? Considering the fact that Jesse was staying in a residence where there was no phone, it certainly does not seem possible that Jason Baldwin would have called him at that residence and asked him to go to West Memphis with them the next day. Further analysis shows that Ricky Dees picked up Josh and Jesse at Josh's mom's house about 9 o'clock in the morning on the 5th. Here we have a couple of conflicts. Again, Jesse's not at home for Jason to have called him. And secondly, he's at a house with no phone. And third, and more importantly, at 9 o'clock in the morning on Wednesday, May 5th, Jason Baldwin was in school, and there's no way that he could have made that call. This information isn't devastating to the case, but it does go a long way to disprove another element of Jesse's confession that is impossible. Next, let's talk about the alibi that so many of you are already aware of. Jesse couldn't have committed the murders because he was in Dias wrestling on the evening of May 5th. As the story goes, around 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night on that Wednesday, Jesse went with a group of friends including Dennis Carter, Roger Jones, Keith Johnson, and a man named Fred Ravel to go wrestling. All of these gentlemen testified at trial, and all of them had a pretty hard time under cross-examination. Now, there's a lot of trial testimony to dissect. We're not going to spend all day today going over the testimony of every single individual that testified. All of them gave pretty much the same story, and all of them had pretty much the same conflict, which was, how do you know that was May 5th? This group of guys went to Dias to wrestle multiple times. Seems they went most Wednesdays, and sometimes two, three, or four days in a week. If you go onto Callahan's website and look in the trial documents, you can listen to the audio of most of this testimony, and what you'll find with all 14 of these witnesses is that there's a bit of a theme. The theme is that the West Memphis Police Department never tried to verify Jesse Miss Kelly's alibi. Many of these people did speak to the police, but the officers never asked them about Jesse's whereabouts in that night. Most of the questioning was involved Jesse's possible involvement in a satanic cult. A great example of this is family friend Christy Jones Moss. Christy was one of the witnesses that testified at trial that that night, Jesse had gone to Dias to wrestle with guys named Johnny, Roger, Fred, and Bill. Under cross-examination, she was presented with an interview that she had given months before, and Fogelman asked, if you knew where Jesse was that night, why didn't you tell investigators? Christie's reply was that the police didn't want to hear about Jesse's alibi. She says that every single time that she tried to bring up the fact that her and Jesse were friends and that she knew where he was at that night, they would cut her off or ignore her. She testified under that cross-examination that the only thing the police wanted to know about was satanic cult activities. Evidence of this comes in the polygraph test, which she passed. In her polygraph examination, all of the relevant questions were about Satanism or an occult with the exception of the last question where she was asked if anyone had told her about the murders. Her answers indicated that she had no idea about any satanic cult and that she didn't know anything about the murders. No deception was indicated. This was a constant theme with all of the alibi witnesses that testified. Everyone from that trailer park was wearing a yellow ribbon during Jesse's trial as a symbol of their support for Jesse to bring him home. Although this was a nice gesture, I think in the long run it hurt Jesse, because Fogelman pointed out to the jury when every single one of them was on the stand, that while they were testifying about where Jesse was that night, they were also wearing a ribbon supporting Jesse, implying to the jury that they would lie for him. 
Several of the witnesses tried to explain under cross-examination that all of the neighbors in the area were working to try to figure out where Jesse was that night because the police weren't doing it. Fogelman, of course, spun this to say that they were friends trying to create an alibi for their buddy. But one thing that all of us need to realize is that these aren't characters in a book. This was a real-life situation and real people. Jesse Miss Kelly was accused and had supposedly confessed to murdering three little eight-year-old boys, brutally and in cold blood. Ask yourself this question in any circle of anyone's friends. How many people would be willing to testify under oath and lie for someone to try to keep them out of prison for murdering three eight-year-old children? When it comes to Jesse's trip to Dias to wrestle that night, my opinion is that he probably did, but maybe not. I can't say one way or the other. So what I want to do right now is let you hear the worst part of Jesse's wrestling alibi, and that is just the cross-examination of Mr. Fred Ravel. Fred is the person that signed the contract to rent the ring that the boys were using to practice their wrestling. Under direct examination as a defense witness, he gave a pretty good testimony and sold his case pretty well. That testimony, however, was pretty well undermined during Fogelman's cross-examination. So I want you to hear the worst. Here's the cross-examination from Jesse Miss Kelly's trial of Fred Ravel. Mr. Ravel, I'm going to have a number of questions for you, and if you don't understand my questions, you just please ask me to rephrase them, and I'll be more than glad to do so. Yes, sir. And in exchange, I'd like you to respond to my questions, okay? Yes, sir. And you've indicated that you previously gave a statement to police, right? Yes, sir. And in fact, you sought out the police to tell them that you knew for certain that Jesse Miss Kelly was with you on the 5th. Yes, Isn't sir. Isn't that right? Yes, sir. And you told the police then that the reason you were absolutely certain, and you told them a number of times in your statement, was because you had paid $300 and signed a contract the day that you were with Jesse on the 5th. Isn't that right? That's what you told them. Yes, sir. And in fact, when you talked to police, you had gone down to talk with this Mr. Stone and confirm with him that there had been money exchanged on the night of the 5th. Is that right? Yes, Charles Stone had told me that that night, May 5th. Did, did you go down there and no, confirm that with no, him? At least let him answer. He didn't ask for a hearsay, though. Go ahead. Did you go down there and, and speak with Mr. Stone to confirm that? No, I'm not asking you what he said to you. He just asked you if you went down there. No, I called him on the phone. Okay. And you told police, you told Mr. Stone, you told everybody back on June 9th, the reason I remember it was the 5th is because that's the night we paid $300, right? That's yes, what you sir, told. That's what I and you didn't say anything about this bunk about it being your birthday, did you? You didn't say anything about that, did you? No, sir. Okay. And you didn't say anything about a car breaking down and so-and-so being at search and rescue or anything about that, did you? Yes, sir. I said something about Kevin Johnson being at a search and rescue meeting. You didn't use that as a basis of determining when it was you were there. You most certainly did, Your Honor. It's in his statement. Is that an objection? Your Honor, if he's going to impeach him with the statement, you ought to at least Your Honor, if, if he's going to... What, what is your objection? Your Honor, my objection is improper impeachment. All right, confront him with uh, his statement. Allow him an opportunity to refer to it. Now, the receipt, and I'm going to show you a copy of a receipt. You, you told the officers, you said, we paid $300. And that's why I remember it was the 5th, because we went down there. In fact, you and Bill Cox went down there and paid him the money, right? That's what you told the officers? Yes, sir. Okay. Now, I want to show you a receipt. And does that receipt have your name at the top? Yes, sir. Okay. You're Fred Revelle, right? Yes, sir. Okay. And does that receipt reflect that you paid Charles Stone $300? Yes, sir. Okay. And what date does that receipt show? April 27th. Okay, and April 27th was a Wednesday too, wasn't it? Yes, sir. 
It was just a Wednesday the week before these murders occurred, right? I'm not real, really sure. I have to look at that calendar. Well, you know, in fact, that you told police that the night we were there was the night I paid them the $300. That's what, that's what you told police, correct? That's what I said. Okay. And the truth, in fact, is the night that you paid $300 was a week before the night of the murder. Yes, sir. Okay. Now, just to go back over what you told police, do I understand correctly that when you talked and gave a statement to Detective Bill Drum that you indicated that whatever night this was you say you went down there that you left about 6.30 to 7. I never said that. I'm not... That that conversation was tape recorded, correct? That we left from the building at Dawes to come home or to go up there. Officer Durham says, now what date was that? And your response, it was May 5th, the day of the murders, Around 7 o'clock, 6.30, 7 o'clock. Look at that part highlighted in pink down here. We left to go to Dallas, 6.30, 7 o'clock. And you told him it was May 5th, but you also told him that today you paid $300, right? Yes, sir. And you also told him y'all were getting high on the way down there, correct? No, sir, I sure didn't. Does it not say, and did you not tell Officer Durham, I'm training him to be a pro wrestler, teaching him we left and picked up Jesse in Highland Trailer Park, and we were going to get high on the way up there? No, sir, I sure didn't. So if Officer Durham and the tape-recorded statement reflect otherwise, you would disagree with that? Yes, sir, I sure would. I don't do drugs. I don't mess with anybody who does drugs. And you also told the officer when you were talking with him and you were trying to get your time straight, you said it was around 6.30 or 7 because the times hadn't changed yet, correct? No, sir, I don't recall that. Well, he said, Officer Durham asked, it was already dark? You said, yeah, when I left. And he says, Highland Trailer Park? And he, you said, yes, sir, the time hadn't changed yet. It was already dark. When you said the time hadn't changed yet, were you talking about going to daylight savings time? All I know is it was dark when we left. But you would agree that you told him that you hadn't switched to daylight savings time on the time you left, correct? I don't recall saying that. Okay. And daylight savings time would have been in effect on May 5th of 1993. I don't have any idea. I don't recall making that statement. Now... Is this a copy of that contract that you also talked about signing? Let me, let me exchange that. Here's one that's already been marked. Your Honor, marked for identification purposes in State's Exhibit 103. Yes, sir. This is the contract we signed. Okay. Now, show me where Fred Ravel signed that contract. Right here, second line. Okay. Okay. Now, is there a reason why Mr. Stone wasn't able to determine who Fred Ravel was? Because of my wrestling name, huh? I guess. What? I guess because of my wrestling name. Oh, so the guy you were entering into the contract with up there, he thought your name was Fred James, didn't he? He only knew me as Fred James. Okay. Are there any other names that you go by? No, sir. And... The other people that signed that contract, are they people that, that accompanied you there to the wrestling match? Those are people that went to the building and just practice. And you indicated to police that this contract and the receipt were done on the same night, correct? As far as I can remember. Okay. And you will agree that that was April the 27th, correct? All the, all the people didn't sign the contract on the night that we gave the money. Only me and Bill Cox was going at the time. And so it's your testimony that this contract was not signed all at the same time? There, people, 
can like he signed later on because he wasn't going with us. He came on a on a different night, so he signed it later on. There's other people that came started coming with us later on. Some didn't even sign it. Well, now you are anxious to tell police that because of this $300 pay, you could show that Jesse was there with you on the fifth, right? Charles Stone told told me that he gave that we gave him the money on May fifth. Okay, but Charles Stone didn't tell you that till you called him and were trying to ask him and try to make up a determination as to why you were there on the fifth. I knew he was there. Okay, would you answer? He didn't tell you that till you called him and tried to pick his brain to determine. No, when I that didn't money try to paid. pick his brain. I was asking him to see if he could recall, recollect his memory to okay. that night. Okay, and so. Then you tell the police that it's all connected to this $300 payment, and you found out after that 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 $300 payment was made on April 27th, didn't you? It was made at an earlier date. Yes. Okay. And so then when you come back and formulate this new theory as to why you're there on May 5th, when was it you went and told the police about this new theory you formulated? I never talked to the police after that. You never told this to the police? No, sir. You, you're wearing one of those ribbons. Are you? How long have you known Jesse and Miss Kelly Jr.? I've known him. I can't tell exact years how, how long I've known him. I've known him for a while. We lived in the same trailer park. So, you first come to police to give them information about <coughs> what, where he was on the fifth. And when that proves to be wrong, the next theory you come up with, you keep it all to yourself till you walk in here and testify in court, correct? That's not a theory. It's the actual truth. But it sure is, your memory sure has improved a whole lot over the months than what it was back in June when you gave this statement back on June 9th when you gave the statement to Officer Durham. Isn't that right? I, I could recall events that happened on different nights, but I had, I had to think about it more. The, I jumped the gun when I went and made that statement. I knew that he was there. But it, it wasn't just like the police well, called you it. into the office and under the pressure you weren't able to recall. You went out and actively searched for information and went to the police with the information you knew to be accurate in an effort to come up with an alibi for Jesse Miss Kelly, didn't you? Your Honor, how long is this going to continue? He's asking Do you have an objection? Yes, Your Honor. What is the objection? It's improper impeachment. He's asked him three or four times. Overruled. He's answered it three or four times. Overruled. Avoid repetition, however. Isn't it true that during this time period y'all were going to die three or four times a week? Or more. Or more? And you had been for how long? Over a month? I don't really know. I met Bill Cox and we started going pretty regular from there. Okay. Well, had you been going for a month, two months, three months prior to the time, prior to Mayfield? No, sir. It hadn't been that long, maybe a month. Okay. And you continued to go after Mayfield, right? Yes, sir. So, during a month's period of time, you all would go down there 20 some odd times? Or more. Okay. And you've been doing it for a couple of months by the time you talk to police, right? Yes. So there have been 40 some odd trips down there? Is that correct? I can't recall, recall no actual numbers of the times we went down there. I didn't have no reason to count how many times we went down there. No reason to really pay much attention as to what one night from the next, did you? There were events that happened certain nights, and then I had to recall my memory that, that I actual, actually remember the nights that it, take, that it took place. Okay, now, this is your signature on the end of this statement, is that true? Yes, sir. And this is a statement, is that your handwriting? Yes, sir. Okay, so you hand wrote this statement, looks like to Officer Durham, back on June 9th, is that correct? Yes, sir. Been about six days after Jesse's arrest. Yes, sir. Okay, and show me in that statement where it was you told the officer that you could recall that evening because that's the evening that so-and-so, Kevin or Keith, was at search and rescue. Just take your time and read that when you get to that point, point it out. I don't see it anywhere in this statement. 
It's not there, is it? No, sir. In fact, what's in this statement is about the $300 that was paid down. That's why you knew it was the fifth, right? And that's what I thought at first. And you never bothered to tell anybody any different until you come in here with your yellow ribbon and testifying in this courtroom today. That's right. I figured that the police would no want to get in touch with John. Me. <clears throat> Anything else? Mr. Revelle, is there any doubt in your mind that Jesse Mitchell is with you for about seven years? I object to leading. Avoid leading. Was Jesse Mitchell with you that night, May the 5th? Yes, sir. Need out your mind? No, sir. Nothing further. I wouldn't put my life on the line. All right, you may stand down. No, we would like to introduce you. After hearing Fogelman pick apart Ravel's testimony, I certainly cannot say with any amount of assurity that Jesse was, in fact, wrestling on the night of May 5th, 1993. I can't say that he wasn't there, but there's definitely not enough proof there to say that he was even with the six or seven other witnesses who said that Jesse was going to wrestle that night, including his own father. In my opinion, the wrestling alibi was never really all that important. If everyone is telling the truth, then that means that somewhere around 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night, Jesse left to go wrestling. While it would be tight and probably impossible, Stevie, Michael, and Christopher disappeared into the woods around 6 o'clock at night, and it was around 7 o'clock when Stevie Branch's stepfather, Terry Hobbs, in a recent interview, said that he was actually in the Blue Beacon Woods looking for them. And if that information is accurate, the murders had already occurred, and the suspects had already fled. So all things assumed to be true, Jesse still could have committed the murders, and then got picked up and went wrestling that night. The big question is, where was Jesse Miss Kelly on May 5th, between 6.30 and 7 o'clock p.m., right after the break? Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In the first segment of today's episode... You just heard the worst example of Jesse's wrestling alibi. But what I want to do next is let you hear the full story of where Jesse was between the hours of 6.30 and 7 p.m. Jesse Miss Kelly lived in the Highland Trailer Park in Marion, Arkansas. According to the Crittenden County Sheriff's Department station logs, that night, there were three different trips made by police out to the trailer park. A woman and friend of Jesse, Stephanie Dollar, called the police because her son Cody was allegedly slapped and yanked off his bike by a woman named Connie. According to the dispatch logs, a Crittenden County Sheriff's deputy, a James Dollahite, first responded to the scene and arrived in the Highland Trailer Park at 6.31 p.m. on May 5th. He went to the address of Stephanie Dollar, no one was home, and he left. Stephanie Dollar then called him back, and he returned to the scene to take a report, and he left again. Shortly after he left, Stephanie and Connie's husbands got into an altercation, which triggered Stephanie to call the police again now for the third time. This time, Deputy Dollahite, along with Marion police officers Joe McCafferty and Jason Oliver, all responded back to the scene. 
Two of the officers arrived at this incident at 6.47 p.m., and the third arrived at 6.48. According to the police logs, all three cleared the scene at 6.59 p.m. Several people testified at Jesse's trial that Jesse was there in the trailer park and actually spoke to one of the officers during this incident, although all three officers deny that Jesse was there. Marion Patrol Officer Jason Oliver wrote out a statement on November 24th, six and a half months after the murders. The statement reads as follows. On Wednesday, May 5th, 1993, a call was given over the radio to Deputy James Dollahite to respond to a disturbance in the Highland Trailer Park area. As I recall, the dispatcher stated that there was a fight in the street. Myself and Patrolman Joe McCafferty responded with Deputy Dollahite to the location for backup. Upon arrival on the scene, I observed several people talking with Deputy Dollahite in the street next to his car. The disturbance, I believe, was over two children who were fighting, and then the parents got into it. One of the children's parents was Bobby Dollar Jr., who had supposedly made threats to the other child's parents and her husband. Mr. Dollar was not anywhere around outside in the area that I could see. The only people that were present at the time were the complainants who lived across the street from Mr. Dollar and two children, one of which was a blonde-haired boy and a blonde-haired younger girl. At no time did I see Jesse Miss Kelly Jr. in the area while I was there. I know what Jesse Miss Kelly Jr. looks like, and I also know of his father from past experiences. Signed, Jason Oliver. On the same day, again six and a half months later, Patrolman Joe McCafferty wrote out a statement. On Wednesday, May 5th, 1993, Deputy James Dollahide of the Crittenden County Sheriff's Department received a dispatch in reference to a disturbance at Highland Trailer Park. At this time, I advised the Sheriff's Department dispatchers that myself and Patrolman Oliver would respond to the call and back up the deputy. Upon arrival on the scene, which was around 6.30 p.m., I observed several people standing in the middle of the street talking to Deputy Dollahite. The disturbance appeared to be involving a white male by the name of Bobby Dollar Jr., who I don't recall being there during the time the deputy was conducting his investigation. There were several people standing in the middle of the street making their complaints to the deputy and I do not recall seeing Jesse Miss Kelly Jr. at our location. I do know both the father and the son from past experiences. This statement is given to the best of my knowledge on the incident that occurred on May 5th, 1993, and of the people present. Signed, Joe McCafferty. So both of these officers claimed that they didn't see Jesse Miss Kelly Jr. at the scene that day. However, both of them claimed that there were several people in the street and around the area. But it was neither of the two Marion police officers that the witnesses claimed that they saw Jesse speaking to. As the story goes, the first time Officer Dollahite responded to Stephanie Dollar's house, Jesse spoke to him and told him that they weren't home and directed him as to where he could find her. Deputy Dollahite wrote out a statement in December of 1993, seven months after the incident. His statement reads as follows. On 5593. I received a call in reference to a battery complaint at Highland Trailer Park. I was called back at about 7 p.m. by the complainant Connie Mulder. At no time during both calls, Jesse Miss Kelly Jr. was there. Signed, James Dollahite, December 1st, 1993. Deputy Dollahite is the big issue here because a man named James McNeese and a man named Lewis Hoggart both testified that they witnessed Jesse Lloyd Miss Kelly Jr. speaking to Deputy Dollahite while he was still in his squad car. Although Dollahite claims that that exchange never happened, and as I said, all three officers claimed that Jesse wasn't there, or at least that they didn't see him. Over the past several weeks, we've done a lot of work analyzing the linguistics and statements given by Jesse Miss Kelly. We've even heard from experts Tim Clementi and Warren Holmes about what to look for in a truthful statement. A free-flowing narrative, you don't have to correct them, they'll correct you, and also vivid sensory memories. A person indicating with their hands, reenacting something, trying to draw from real memories. So instead of me walking you through the events of the afternoon of May 5th, 1993, I'm going to play for you the direct examination of Miss Stephanie Dollar. This is what she had to say about Jesse's afternoon on the day of the murders. 
Ms. Dollar, uh, you claimed personally testified a few minutes ago. Yes, sir. You recall you're still under oath. Yes. Sir. Okay. Uh, on the day of, of uh, May 5th, uh, when was the first time you remember seeing Jesse that day? At uh, 2 o'clock. What happened? Uh, I had a parent-teacher conference meeting and he had came over and I asked him if he could watch my children until I got home. How many children do you have? I have three. Uh, were all those at home at that time? No, they weren't. Uh, my four-year-old at the time, he's now five, was home and then my other two was going to be getting off the bus and I knew I would not be home in time to get them. Okay. Who, who was the parent-teacher conference with? Uh, Justin's teacher, uh, Mrs. Stewart, uh, Dr. McGrew, and myself. And where, where was that conference to be at? At Felix Elementary School. Okay. If Jesse hadn't been there at uh, around 2 o'clock, what were you going to do with your children? I was going to bring them to my father-in-law's house. Okay. Uh, was it unusual for Jesse to babysit for you? No. Okay. He babysit for you how often? Uh, a lot. Uh, <coughs> at least four times a week. Do you remember what time you got back from the parent-teacher conference? It's about 4 o'clock. Okay. Who was at your home when you returned? Susie Brewer and Jesse. Okay. Uh, what, what happened at that point with Jesse? Did he stay, leave? Or well, we stayed for a few minutes and then Susie and Jesse left. Okay. Um, did your, were your children still uh, at home at that point? Well, they left and went down the street to a Johnny Deadman's house. Okay. Is that some relative of yours? No, just a friend. Okay. And uh, what did you do? Well, I stayed at the house for a few minutes, and then I left and went down to Johnny Deadman's. Okay. What happened at Johnny Deadman's house? Well, when I got there, my husband told me that a Connie Molden had slapped my son off the bicycle. What? Which, son, which child is this? Cody. Okay. How old is Cody? He was four at the time. He's five now. Okay. Uh, what what did you do in response to that receiving that information? I called the police. Okay. Uh, do you know what, what time it was when you called the police? It was around five o'clock. Okay. Around five. Okay. Uh, what happened? Well, we waited for a while and uh, they didn't show up. And then when they did, they went down to my house, and uh, I seen them leaving the trailer park. So I went back into the house and called the police and the dispatcher and told them that I had seen the police leave, that I was down at Johnny Deadman's for them to come back because I was at Johnny Deadman's, not at my house. Did, did the police know where Johnny Deadman's house was to get there? No. Okay. So did you get? Did you ever meet up with the police? Yes. They, uh, the dispatcher told me to meet them at the four-way stop sign. Okay. Did you do that? Yes, I did. Who, who went to the four-way stop sign? My husband. And, and yourself? And myself. Okay. Uh, do you recall talking to an officer at that point? Yes, I did. Okay. What did you relate to the officer? I told him what Connie had done, this incident that had happened, that she had slapped Cody off the bicycle. Okay. Do you know what officer that was? Officer Dollahite. Okay. Um, what, did Dollahite uh, then leave and you sort of, you, you left? What happened next? Well, he left and then I just walked right back, you know, by the house. How, how long did it take you to get from the four-way stop back to... Mm -hmm. You say the house, excuse me, I mean, you know, Johnny Deadman's house. Yeah, John Deadman's house. How long did it take you to get back from the four-way stop to Johnny Deadman's house? Ten seconds. I mean, it was just right there. Okay. And uh, what what ensued? Well, we were standing around, and uh, Jesse was standing at the corner on the bicycle. And then uh, the lady came over, her and her husband came over. Excuse me, let me interrupt. You said the lady. Connie Molden. Okay came over and her husband Melvin came over and her husband asked my husband if uh, he was going to have Connie arrested. My husband said yes and they really started arguing really bad and I thought they were beginning to get into a fight. Okay, did anyone pick up anything? Or? Yes, uh, Connie's husband picked up a shovel. Okay. Did your husband pick up anything? He went to his truck and got a roller handle. Okay. Uh, that concerned you? Yeah. <laughs> so what'd you do? I went back and called the police. Okay. Uh, what happened at that point? Did the okay, well, yeah, three cop cars came back within just a few minutes. I mean, it was no time at all. And uh, they pulled up at Connie Molden's house and talked to her for a few minutes, and then they left. Okay. During the time that you see uh, Jesse Miss Kelly Jr.? 
He, and when the police left, he came and talked to me. Okay. During the time the police were there, did you see Jesse? Yes, I did. Okay. Where, where was he standing? Where was he standing? He was standing like it's on, all right, the street is like this. You know, it's a four-way stop, and he was standing on the street over here, and I was standing in the yard over there. Okay. Um, after the, the police left, did you have a conversation with Jesse? Yes, I did. Okay. You can't tell me what Jesse said, uh, but uh, uh, what was the conversation? Don't tell me what I said. What was the conversation about? The general nature of the conversation. Why were y'all talking? He just came and told me what Connie told the police. Okay, he was telling you what he overheard the officer. Yeah. Do you know what time it was when all this was occurring? It was between 5 and 6.30 because the police officer arrived at 6.30. Okay. When was the last time you saw Jesse in relation to the police officer being there? Uh, whatever time that turns out to be, what, uh, when was the last time you saw Jesse after that? About 6.45. Okay. So you're saying, you're saying 6.45 or you're saying 15 minutes after the officer left? Well, the officer arrived at 6.30, and then the, I called the other officer, and it was just a matter of minutes, so it was between 6.30 and 7. Okay. After Jesse and you had a conversation, did you see him anymore that night? Not after I had the conversation with him. Okay. Um, that's all. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ms. Dollar, are you familiar with that haircut Jesse had when he got arrested, that pigtail on the top? Yes, I am. Okay. And I believe you indicated in a statement to Officer Birch that he didn't have any of that unusual haircut uh, on the day of the 5th. Is that correct, that that occurred sometime afterwards? He didn't have the eight ball on top of his head, and he didn't have the, the rooster cut on top of his head. Okay, your husband's one who cut his hair, correct? Yes, he is. Okay, and you told the officers that that had occurred sometime after this particular incident. Is that correct? Which haircut? The haircut with the pigtail on top. That happened after the 5th. Okay. And you indicated that you're good friends with Jesse, is that correct? Yes, I did. In fact, you knew him long before you even moved out there in the same trailer park, is that true? Yes, I did. Okay. In fact, some three to four years before you moved into that trailer park, you've been friends of his, correct? Yes. Okay. In statements to police, you indicated that Jesse actually came right up to the car where you were talking to a police officer, is that true? Well, the corner is right here, and the car was right here. I mean, it wasn't exactly up against the car, but he was standing close to the car. Okay. It said in your statement to the officer, you said you took Jesse up to up there to the car so he could hear what the lady was saying. Did you actually take Jesse up to the police car? I never told anyone that. It's in a transcribed statement. Are you indicating that you recall giving a statement to Stan Birch, a tape-recorded statement to Stan Birch regarding your activities on the afternoon of May 5th? Yes, I do. Okay. And if the transcription of that indicates that you said, all right, I took Jesse up there to the car so he could hear what the lady was saying, are you saying that's inaccurate? Yes, it is, because I never took, I wasn't even there. The police officer went to Connie Molden's house. She never came to where I was at. She went, the police officers went and talked to her. 
Okay. And is it also your testimony that your initial call that the police officers went to your trailer? Mm-hmm. Okay. I seen them leaving the trailer park. They, he had come in, Dollahide had come into the trailer park, went down to my trailer and left the trailer park. And then whenever he was leaving the trailer park, I seen him. So I went back and called the police again. Okay. So it's your testimony that when you first called on that day, that Officer Dollahide went to your trailer. Is that correct? Well, he said that he went down to my trailer. Well, you just testified that you saw him go down to your trailer. Is that accurate? Well, I seen him go down towards my trailer. I don't know if exactly if he went pulled into the driveway. Okay. Now, on that particular day, did Jesse and Susie Brewer babysit for your kids? She showed up while Jesse was babysitting, and she helped him when she got there. So Jesse was the babysitter, and she just happened to show up? Yeah, and she helped him. Was that unusual for them to babysit with your children? No, it was not. How many times a week would that happen? At least four times a week. Okay, so nothing unusual about that? No. Nothing unusual about them being over there together? No. Okay. And in fact, the police coming out to that trailer park, they had been out there the day before, hadn't they? Nearly at the exact same time? On which day? On May 4th. I don't know if they came to my trailer May 4th. Uh, The police officer never came to my trailer May 4th. They had been at the trailer park on May 4th, hadn't they? The day before? I don't know that. Now, you indicated that you, or that Jesse and Susie Brewer went to Johnny Deadman's, is that right? Yes. And is Johnny Deadman the same as Johnny Hamilton? No. They're two different people, correct? Yes. Okay. But you saw them go to Johnny Deadman's? I seen them going towards Johnny's. Did you see them go in? No, I did not. And when was that? (coughs) That was uh, May 5th. That was when the police and stuff were out there. When the police were there, how far would you say Jesse Miss Kelly was from the police vehicles? From about me to about the corner of the this desk right here okay. to where you're standing. No more than five yards? Yeah, he was very close. And how many people do you place being out there around those, in that, well, let's say five yards or closer to the police vehicles, how many people do you put out there in that vicinity? Well, it was me, my husband, uh, Bubba Ashley, uh, Connie and Melvin Molden, Uh, Pat Ashley. There was quite a few of them. Okay. So you've named one, two, three, six people, including yourself? I mean, there was more than that. I mean... Within five yards of that police car. Oh, I just thought, I thought you meant you was asking me who was there at the time. Yeah, within five yards of that police car, that close... It was uh, Bubba Ashley and uh, Jesse. Okay, so there was only two people that close to the police car. And we, me and my husband was at the police car at the time. Okay. And Charles Ashley, was, we was in, on the side of his house, and he was mowing his yard right there. Okay, so Charles really wasn't up there. He's just mowing his yard. Okay, now that's Charles Ashley Sr., and Bubba is Charles Ashley Jr. So there's actually three people there within five yards of the police vehicle. Yeah, Jesse and Bubba was on this side, and Charles Ashley Sr. was on this side. How many police vehicles were there at that time? That was when Dollar Height was there. That's when I seen Jesse the first time. Okay. This was before the other three police officers arrived. Did Jesse continue to stay there, according to your testimony? Until after the other three police officers left, and he came and talked to me, and then he left. Okay, so he was still there when the other three officers arrived? That's when he came, that's when Connie talked to him, talked to the police officer, and Jesse was standing, I guess, somewhere around there, and then he come back and told me what Connie had told the police officer. But he was standing in close, you say when the other three officers arrived, he's in close proximity to their vehicle? I guess he was, I didn't see him at, the, at that police car. But according to your testimony, 
he's relating things that went on there? After the police officer left. So he would have been close enough to be within earshot, is that correct? Yes. Pass witness, Your Honor. Ms. Dollar, has, has your child ever been slapped by Connie Molden before this? No. Since this? No. Okay. Uh, did your husband and Mr. Molden ever get into a fight, or almost get into a fight, over your child being slapped other than this day? No. Okay. You're sure about that? Yeah, I okay. remember something like that. Okay. You're going to have to judge for yourself whether you believe Stephanie Dollar and Lewis Hoggart and James McNeese and Jesse Miss Kelly Sr. and Charles Ashley Jr. or Bubba, Christy Jones Moss, Jennifer Roberts, Susie Brewer, Dennis Carter, and anyone else that saw Jesse that day. At the end of the day, it's all of their word against the word of the officers who say that Jesse wasn't there. But as I've continued my investigation, honestly trying to see if there is any evidence of Jesse actually participating in this crime, I was directed by many people who support the convictions that I should look at Jesse's subsequent confessions, most notably and often named the Bible Confession. This is the confession after Jesse Miss Kelly was convicted and sentenced to life plus 40 years, and allegedly in the car ride back to the jail, Jesse confessed to the officers. Then his attorney, Mr. Dan Stidham, recorded another confession of Jesse's. This was, as stated on the tape, completely against the wishes and advice of Stidham. Nonetheless, Jesse decided to put his hand on a Bible and come clean because he wanted something done about this. I mentioned this interview briefly in the Friday follow-up and noted some of the even more glaring factual errors. Just to name one, the fact that Jesse claimed in this confession that the entire incident occurred in the main bayou, not in the woods in the creek, in a large body of water that was over his head about 15 feet to 15 yards away from the pipe bridge, which he said is about the size of his leg. But after spending the last week reviewing all of the statements, reports, and trial testimonies of Jesse's alibi witnesses, I thought I remembered something from that confession when Jesse was finally getting it off his chest. All of the people that support the convictions that directed me to that confession said that this is evidence that he was actually involved because the guilt finally got to him and he was finally ready to tell the truth. So what I want to do next is read to you the first eight pages of the transcript of the so-called Bible confession. I want to read this transcript to you and Mike's going to help me out and play the part of Dan Stidham because summarizing doesn't do it justice. We've learned a lot over the last month about what to look for in a truthful statement. And I want you to listen to the words that Jesse says here and compare them to how he responded to questions during his, quote, confessions. And remember, he has his hand on a Bible, and this is all about his guilt when he's finally ready to come clean. Here's the transcript with me playing the part of Jesse Miss Kelly and Mike playing the part of Dan Stidham. Okay, this is Dan Stidham. Today's date is February 8th, 1994. It is 3.20 p.m. on Tuesday. I'm at the Pine Bluff, Arkansas Department of Correction Diagnostic Unit in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. I'm talking to Jesse Miss Kelly Jr. Jesse, can you say your name for the tape, please? I'm Jesse Lloyd Miss Kelly Jr. Do you understand that I am tape recording this? Yes, sir. Okay, Jesse. A few minutes ago, I asked you about making some statements to the officers when they transported you from Piggott to Pine Bluff. You told me that you had told them some stuff. Is that correct? Yes, sir. And at first you told me that you were just making it up, that you were lying to them. And then you placed your hand on the Bible and told me that you were there when the boys got killed. Yes, sir. Uh, what's the truth, Jesse? I want to know the truth. The truth is me and Jason and Damien done it. You were there when the boys were killed? Yes, sir. 
Now what's going to be very important is for you to tell me why it was that you have been maintaining that you weren't there all this time. I was scared. What were you scared of? I always lied and I hadn't ever put my hand on the Bible and swore. Nobody didn't tell me to do that. If they would have told me that at first, I would have done it. Nobody told me to put my hand on the Bible. Okay, so basically you've been lying to me and Mr. Crow for the past seven or so months about not being there when in fact you were there? Yes, sir. Okay, Jesse, let's start from the beginning. I understand that you received a phone call from Jason sometime before the murders. Remember when that was? On Monday. On the Monday before the Wednesday? Uh-huh. When did he call you? What time? It was about six o'clock. Six o'clock in the evening? Yes, sir. And is that when he said something about going to find some girls or something of that nature? He asked me to, uh, did I want to go to West Memphis with them, find some, uh, find some girls. Did any make any mention of hurting some boys or killing some boys at that time? No, sir. And what happened on Wednesday, May 5th? Did you spend the night with Josh Darby on May the 4th, that Tuesday night? Yes, sir. He picked us up in Nettles Trailer Park in West Memphis at Josh's mama's house. And we left about 9 that morning, went to West Memphis roofing. Did you... Unintelligible. Bedroom? Yes, sir. And uh, we got off about 12. Me and Josh did. And after I got me something to eat, I went to Stephanie's. And then uh, Vicky brought us some... Wait a minute. Let's stop. You say Josh and Ricky D's dropped you off at your house about what time? Lunchtime? It was after 12. I'd say about 12.30. Okay. Then what happened? Then uh, I went in the house and got me something to eat, and then I went to Stephanie's, Stephanie Dollar's house. Did you babysit the kids or what? I babysitted Cody while Stephanie had to go to the school about Courtney. Then what time did you leave Stephanie's? I stayed there for a while. Susie showed up then? Yeah, after school. Okay, then what happened after Steph, excuse me, Susie got there? We sit there and talk, watch TV, and babysitted Cody. Then what happened? Um, uh, about 5.30, Cody got slapped by Connie. And then, uh, I went down towards Johnny's and I called some police officers. Johnny Hamilton? Johnny Deadman. Johnny Deadman. Did you talk to a police officer that day? I told him that, uh, Stephanie and them was down the street. They wasn't at home. Did the cop come in Stephanie Dollar's yard? Yes, sir, he did. They drive in? He drived up in the driveway, but he didn't get out. Was it Officer Dallahide who testified the other day? Yes, sir, it was. You talked with him? I told him they was down the street. What time was this, do you know? Um, I'll say it was a little bit after five. Then what happened? And then I sat there and... First of all, did you see Lewis Hogart that day? He was mowing his yard and he asked me what happened and I told him that Cody got slapped by Connie. Then what happened? Where did you go then? Then I went down by towards Johnny Deadman's, and that's where I seen uh, Stephanie and Bobby Dollar and Cody, Justin, Courtney, and had Ashley and Charles Ashley. So you seen all these people down there by Johnny? Yes, sir. That was Johnny Deadman? Yes, sir. He lives at the other end of the trailer park from Stephanie, doesn't he? Yes, sir. Okay, did you talk to any more officers during that day? No, sir. Okay, then what happened? Then, after all the, uh, then Johnny Hamilton, he sent me down there where, uh, for some man, because, uh, he was going to carry me to Lakeshore. That's why I went down there, uh, down to the end of the street, unintelligible Johnny's. Let's back up. Johnny sent you... Johnny Hamilton. Sent you to do what? He sent me down there to Johnny's to get some man to go to Lakeshore. Johnny Hamilton sent you to Johnny's house? Sent me down to Johnny's. Johnny Deadman? Uh-huh. To get some man to take you to Lakeshore? No, Johnny was supposed to take him to Lakeshore. Okay, this man? Uh-huh. And then, did you do that? I told him, and he said okay, and then that's when I stayed down there with the police, you know. I took off, and Johnny said he'd be on his way. Where did you go after that? What? Let me stop you there. Johnny Hamilton sent you down to Johnny Deadman's to tell this guy to come to Johnny Hamilton's house so he could take him to Lakeshore. Did you do that? Yes, sir. Who was this guy? I don't know his name. What did he look like? He was kind of big. He had a beard and a mustache and had a glass eye. A glass eye? Uh-huh. Daddy knows him. I don't. Okay, and then did he leave with Johnny Hamilton? Did that guy leave with Johnny Hamilton, or do you know? I don't know. What did you do after you left Johnny Deadman's? Where did you go? What did you do? I went down, down towards my house. What time was it getting now? Almost six. Then what happened? Then Vicky went, uh, went to the store and bought me some liquor. Vicky Hutchison? Yes, sir. Okay, so about six o'clock. Is that... Where did you run into her at? 
I went to her house. So you went by, inaudible, to Vicky's house? This is on May 5th, the day the boys were killed. Yes, sir. And Vicky went to buy you some liquor? Yes, sir. Where'd she go? Did you go with her? Uh-uh. Did you stay at the house when she left or tell me what happened? I was standing on the corner talking with Dennis, uh, Dennis Carter. Standing on the corner where? By my house. So tell me how you went to Vicky and why she went to get you some liquor. I asked, no, Dennis asked, uh, asked me, you know, did I know anybody to get us something to drink? I told him Vicky will. So we gave Vicky some money and I went down to her house and started talking just a little bit and I asked her would she go to the store and buy me some liquor. And she said? She said yes. She said hand me the money. She said I'll go in a minute. I said okay. You left her house or what? I left her house and me and Dennis went to my house and you know watched as she went around the corner and we sat there on the corner, sat there and talked about you know drinking and stuff. So did Vicky bring you some liquor? Yeah, she carried it to her house and me and Dennis went down there and got it. What did she buy you? Evan Williams. Evan Williams? Uh-huh. What is that, wine? Whiskey. Just one bottle? She bought two bottles. How big are the bottles? About fifth? Yeah, about... About this tall? Uh-huh. Then what happened? Then I started drinking out Dennis's bottle, and I told him I was going to Lakeshore. So did you go to Lakeshore? Yeah. What happened when you went to Lakeshore? I met Damien and Jason Baldwin. What did you all talk about? Did you have your whiskey bottle with you? Yes, sir, I did. How'd you carry it? Carried it in front of my pants. Did you meet anybody? I assume you walked. Yes, sir. What time did you get to Lakeshore? About 6.30. You know how to tell time, don't you? Yeah. Did you carry anything else? Just this bottle of whiskey? Just the bottle of whiskey. Was it in a paper sack? It was in a paper sack. Do you know where Vicky got that for you? No, sir, I don't. How much money did you give her? From this point, Jesse goes on to say how he met up with Jason and Damien, and they walked to West Memphis, found the boys, beat them up, and murdered them in the bayou. The theory that gets thrown around is that the reason Jesse confessed this time is because of the guilt, and he was ready to come clean. But hopefully you notice while Mike and I were reading that transcript that Jesse had vivid memories, and even corrected Stidham when he got things wrong when he was talking about his experience with the police that day. He talked about telling the police where Stephanie Dollar was at, walking down to the corner just like Stephanie had said. And then after the police left, he says he went to Vicky's house, he went to his house, they waited, they drank some, then he walked to Lakeshore. In this statement, Jesse's describing all of these things happening between 5 and 6.30 p.m. What Jesse's unaware of is the fact that the police never got to the trailer park until 6.31. They didn't clear the trailer park until one minute before 7 p.m. I'd like to honestly pose this question to any of you who believe that Jesse was involved in these murders. How do you reconcile the fact that when his guilt gets the best of him and he confesses, he includes in his confession vivid details of a police interaction that happened a 40-minute walk away from the crime scene the exact time the crimes were being committed. Personally, the beginning of that statement about his interactions with the police, interactions that can be independently verified by the police reports and call logs, Jesse showed more indications of truthfulness than he has in any other statement. And for me... Personally, I cannot justify in my mind why he would come clean and confess. Then what seems to be unknowingly, as he has the times wrong, alibying himself during the times of the murder. And even though those who support the conviction repeatedly point to this so-called Bible confession of evidence of guilt, all I've found in this confession is the strongest evidence of innocence to date. Truth and Justice is a production of NBI Studios. Michael Bussing is your executive producer, and Shane Yoder is our sound engineer. All music for the show was created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. 
and Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com designed and created our Season 5 logo. A special thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website. And also a big thank you to our transcription team, Sarah Mueller, Anna Dindorf, Britta Bliss, and Stephanie McConnell. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $1 a month. And we also have reward levels on the Patreon page that include access to the behind-the-scenes videos of the taping of our Friday follow-up episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. But the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation in the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. And for all of you tweeters, you can follow along on Twitter at truthjusticepod. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on the case. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.